This is Pandemic Buzz, a place where resilience practitioners gather to listen to insights from crisis management, business continuity, and crisis communications professionals. I'm your host, Devin Sermenis, a managing director at Widow Bryant's, a firm solely dedicated to supporting clients to prepare, respond, and recover from devastating events. Throughout this series, you'll hear from subject matter experts from a variety of industries and geographies. The intent is to share insights and best practices that you can adopt during these unusual times, or at the very minimum, some human elements that will further connect us as we adapt to new routines both at work and at home. Evan, thanks for joining us on Pandemic Buzz today. Great to join you. Thanks for the time. Great. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your title, and what your firm's responsibilities are? Sure. I'm, I'm Evan Chuck, and I'm a partner with the law firm of Kroll & Mooring, which is based in Washington, D.C., but uh, I'm actually resident out here in Los Angeles. Uh, I head up the firm's Asia practice and have spent the past 25 plus years of my career advising multinational companies, particularly with complex supply chains really across the world. And so that's uh, a little bit about me. I have a, a team of about 550 lawyers that I work with. So under the pandemic scenario we find ourselves living and working in today, how is your company sustaining operations and what business continuity strategies have they invoked, such as work from home, shifting capacity to other offices? Talk a little bit about that, not only from a headquarters basis in Washington, D.C., but uh, from the global perspective that you have for the firm. Well, we're a you know human capital intensive business. And so, um, you know, moving from people, you know, in offices to remote working, as you can imagine, uh, it's it's a challenge. Um, on the flip side, uh, outside of the U.S., a lot of us who work internationally have, have have for many many years already learned to work remotely and and worked sort of time zone to sort of take advantage of the various time zones. So, mm -hmm. for example, um, if you're working with Asia and you're in Washington D.C. or New York, um, working with Asia is a real pain because sometimes they're 12 hours ahead, sometimes 13 hours ahead. Whereas we found over the years, if you're in Los Angeles, you know, if we're, we're actually 16 hours, which means that I can have my conversations regularly with my team in Shanghai, for example, at five o'clock, six o'clock PM every day in, in California. And I can track and work with my folks in Asia for at least, you know, six or seven hours a day. Um, conversely, if I'm working with our London or Brussels office and I'm in Washington, that usually works well for them, but can be very difficult for those of us on the West Coast. But bottom line is, you know, the whole institution has really embraced and, and sort of had folks working from home. And we're very fortunate to have a, a very deep um, IT bench that helps support that infrastructure, not just within the U.S., but cross-border. So easy is not the right word, but uh, you were well-positioned to move from a work-home environment or sustain operations from a work-home environment. That's right. That's right. Um, I mean, that said, there are still many people, you know, like our support staff, um, our, you know, our assistants that have not historically been working from home. So I think that's a real challenge, not just for us, for, but for many other you know, organizations that have had those people there. What's next is possibly more important than what's now. With whom do you work and how do you determine what's next so you can move from a reactive into a proactive posture? Well, definitely in the COVID environment. What has been very key to what we do is, you know, the ability to, um, to, to essentially aggregate the constant flow of information. And, and in our world right now, we're literally um, responding to changes in national, state, county, local, municipal orders 
about various items from ranging from shutdown to whether mask usage is mandatory or not, whether or not um, you know certain there are certain exceptions and, and and how long these orders last and maybe get extended. A lot of information flow. So for a for a, a outfit like ours, what we need to have is really leverage technology, um, and particularly we use uh, intensively a knowledge management platform to basically assemble compile all this information in a way so that the the lawyers who are really doing the analysis and, and sort of helping clients ask the hard questions and answer them for them um, that's that's what we we it's been so essential is to really leverage technology so that if you're giving advice to clients that have very key strategic um, problems we can assimilate get all that information process it as quickly as possible and have those have technology as a way of essentially making our, our work more efficient. That's been really key to this uh, experience that we've had. During times like these, who are the best people to surround yourself with? So you went over a little bit from a technical perspective, but what about personality-wise, uh, leadership styles, business <clears throat> chemistry, how the teams get along? Uh, who are you finding uh, the most motivation and, and inspiration from at this point? Well, definitely um, we have a, our, our, our institution is, uh, is one that is – it's always been very democratic and, and, and very sort of thoughtful about the way it approaches, you know, many, many things because um, our clients are under pressure, um, our industry is under pressure. So I would tell you that, you know, people who are very thoughtful, calm, um, don't lose their cool are, are people that are in incredibly uh, terrific in, in sort of helping us with this, with, with that vision. Um, and, and actually some of our leadership, uh, you know, we, we really are blessed to have those kind of folks in place. And also, you want to have people who are intimately knowledgeable about the existing operations of the institution so that as you modify, those people are going to be the best places to help suggest, you know, how do we still achieve the same kind of internal um, output that we need, but you know, modifying obviously for the current situation. So you, you need to surround yourself with people who are highly experienced, understand the systems and, and are flexible to be able to sort of adjust them as needed here. Did, did that actually take form uh, like in a formal crisis management or business continuity council or team that assembled or was it just an executive or leadership partner group that uh, shifted modes and, and dealt with the crisis management? Well, from from my perspective, um, our our institution is, you know, we're a law firm partnership traditionally. So mm -hmm. there's a, there's a, a core, there's a you know, the partnership ranks and we're led by a management board and a executive committee. Mm -hmm. And so I think our executive committee in particular, in conjunction with Ward, were very quick to understand the situation that was happening, uh, both for our clients and in the industry. And um, I think they've been working quite efficiently, you know, in a, you know, uh, what I would call a, a matrix organization to still come, come very quickly to some important decisions that have to be made to make sure everybody would be able to, for example, work from their homes and, and what that would mean and how we would still do that, but ensure that our clients were fully served. So speaking of those changes, have, have you had or what have you had to change in terms of HR or corporate policies to care for your staff as the pandemic stretches out? Um, I don't think it's anything different that we're doing that a lot of our other clients are doing, but um, you know, there, there are certainly processes in place that um, need to be uh, uh, need, need to be implemented. For example, if um, you start having exposures um, to uh, to the to the coronavirus, and, and what that means in terms of reporting um, to HR and how you deal with that, I, I certainly that's certainly policies that 
we have not just for our own firm, but also for our clients. And so definitely the sort of modifying HR practices is really important. Um, also now with um, what's developing, uh, you know, from the CARES Act, there are certain tax um, incentives um, like the payroll tax credit, things like that um, need to be sort of woven into um, any organization's, um, you know, HR planning. And so that's something, those are kinds of items that we're seeing that are, are being sort of taken into account. So the world's not all work, particularly in a crisis like this. What should we, we be doing to be taking care of ourselves? We just talked a little bit about caring for staff, but, you know, what are you doing in terms of new things you're incorporating into your team, um, dealing with uh, homework, any kind of isolation that's being felt, so on and so forth? Well, um, you know, I'm lucky because uh, I, I don't have children, but I, a lot of my colleagues do have children. I think it's enormously challenging for them to have sort of children, you know, you know running around and, and also trying to manage their workload. So I think self-care is, is definitely very important. Um, I'm a little bit of an exercise junkie, and so not being able to go to my regular gym. Um, I know myself and other folks, we've uh, buckled down and, and purchased uh, one of these you know, exercise, internal exercise flywheel bikes that have a subscription service to them, mm -hmm. which are incredibly connected. And that's been a fantastic thing. I, I got my first high five yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well done. So on the self-care side, I think uh, definitely keeping active, particularly trying to find ways of doing it at home is, is certainly something that I think is of paramount importance because, um, you know, health is just so, so important. Health and family. Yeah. Keeping that positive mental attitude as well. Yep. Yep. So looking at the dot-com crash, looking back at 2008, let's say your best possible revenue strategies reside in organic growth. What are you guys doing to best take care of your client base? And I'm sure there's certain themes that you're seeing play out from a global perspective. Well, I think there's a couple of points. I think one is, um, again, not just limited to our own organizations, but for our clients. And, and, and it probably translates into other um service types of organizations is that um, our clients are being asked to do so much um, at, at, at sort of any given time right now that, I mean, Mike, I've had clients that for the past three weeks, I think they, you know, they get up at, you know, four or five in the morning and they don't go to bed till midnight or one. Um, some people are pulling all nighters. Um, but I think some of the things that, that we've seen in just the past few weeks was certainly a try to make sure that they had enough resources to understand the various orders that I mentioned before and how, how rapid fire they were coming down to determine whether or not they could stay open or not stay open, for example, as a business um, essential enterprise. There, there's definitely uh, sort of that, that piece of it. Um, but I think um, the other things that we're seeing now, of course, is, you know, how do we preserve cash flow? And, and there are obviously accounting and, and sort of business methods you can do to cut costs and, and to defer costs. So you see that really across the board. One thing that um, we remind our, our clients um, and also contacts is that there are also um, incentive programs or stimulus programs, as we know here in the U.S., um, that are available not just in the U.S., but worldwide. So we're, we're tracking um, these incentive programs um, across the world in major markets, interestingly, including China, because China, as you may know, is at least starting to come out of, 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 of their situation, um, although... There are reports and people are very concerned about what we call a second wave outbreak. Mm -hmm. But even in the midst of that, um, China has for multinational companies and, and Chinese companies, um, incentive programs, for example, to defer certain taxes 
or to only pay a part of, of the payroll or benefits that they have to pay to their employees. They can defer that in some cases up to 50%. And so if you're a multinational client and you have operations there, you want to make sure that your CFO and your accounting folks have taken full advantage of those incentives. And, and they occur in China, for example, at the national level, possibly at the provincial level and, and even local level. So you got to be apprised of those things. Um, but but moreover, I think what's what's important um, is that um, the, these programs um, have a have sort of a, a, a deadline or ex expiration date. So you just want to make sure that you're you're falling into that. But again, that's just an example for China. How about uh, in terms of helping customers? Uh, before the show, we were kind of chatting and catching up. You'd mentioned a theme about uh, sourcing and supply chain and looking at different kinds of equipment that is, that is coming and going. Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. I think in the most general sense, one of the key issues that is out there is if you have a, uh, a company that has complicated supply chain, both U.S. and, and overseas, the first thing that you're going to look at is, do I have a, a, an ability to suspend or sort of delay, for example, payment or suspend or delay my performance to deliver certain things? And there's an, an analysis there that can be very useful. And, and some people will say that it's force majeure. Well, actually, it's more than force majeure. It's, there are certain concepts out there called frustration of purpose. Um, there's, there's other things, other tools that you can use, suspension that may be in, in, in for example, a, a terms and conditions document. But it, that's definitely one area broadly that people should be looking at. Secondly, more specifically, we're, we're seeing a, a number of cases where people are trying to procure physical protective equipment or PPE. So these are like masks, ventilators and the like, trying to acquire them actually from overseas for obviously the, the, the circumstances that we have here in the U.S. Mm. That actually brings very, very um, sort of complex potential compliance problems that um, people need to be aware of. You, you would think that in some ways, maybe this crisis might mean that there's a, gee, there's a coronavirus excuse if something happens. No, there's not a coronavirus excuse. Um, and, and some of the fact patterns that we see are, are potentially troubling, not just both from a legal, but also really PR and crisis management perspective. So I'll give you an example. Um, imagine a, a you know, U.S. company that's trying to procure PPE for um, some government uh, entity, maybe for a state or a local, local government. Well, what we've seen is sometimes um, the U.S. Uh, company may use its contacts and networks and they talk to an agent overseas, and the agent says, "Oh, I can get you some PPE from, uh, you know, from China. I can get you some uh, ventilators from China." Well, what we've seen is that sometimes what happens in China is then that agent maybe gets another subagent or maybe a third subagent. And in one case, we we had a situation where they the source factory was some very very not well known company. Um, the, the the volumes weren't making a lot of sense and. What ended up happening was that um, uh, they, were, they were trying to export these goods and they had to deal with one, changing Chinese export control regulations. They had to deal with changing U.S. regulations from the FDA about whether or not they could even use these goods. And so the COVID situation has only added more fuel to the fire on issues that I typically deal with, which is, gee, are these ventilators or machine, are they even either genuine or can they actually work? Because you can imagine a scenario where you import this stuff in and let's say, number one, it doesn't work. And you've just supplied you know, some city that needs this stuff with, with goods that are defective. That's a problem. 
but but moreover <laughs> the way you got the stuff into the states um a lot of these scenarios have potential bribery implications because they're not well documented and some of these things pass through for example china customs in a way that's not in the normal course and so um i think that for compliance officers this is the time when they actually need to be highly sensitized um, to the changing conditions involving importation of PPE and really work closely with um, their crisis management folks to have the right project booked in case something goes south because um, these have obviously very serious implications if uh, not just from a um, uh, whether or not the, the goods work, but frankly how they got the goods because if it implicates anti-bribery, that, that can be a serious problem for companies. And those are really poignant scenarios. Do you think, because everyone's moving at the speed of light right now, uh, let's say months pass, the pandemic washes over everybody, uh, everyone's kind of returning to some kind of normalcy. As part of the post-pandemic reviews or post-event reviews, do you think people will uh, capture these lessons learned and build them into the need to strengthen third-party supplier risk into their business continuity plans? Do you think they're aware and... Uh, prioritizing the need to action those kind of items? Well, I think there's definitely a need. The fortunate thing is that there are a number of resources that companies can turn to to kind of keep, to sort of earmark and, and keep an eye on this issue. Um, there are various trade associations um, that really are very focused in on business ethics and compliance. And so those would be kind of a first line to, to make sure that whatever any given company is doing, that they're fully being apprised of what, quote, best practices are. Um, I can give you an example. Um, in my PPE example, the uh, American Chamber of Commerce in Shanghai actually came out with a set of procurement guidelines to help foreign companies going to China to try to look for this type of equipment. And it was very helpful because it not only had sort of a checklist of what best practices are from the association standpoint, which includes major U.S. multinationals, um, it also had a list of, of potential sourcing um, options, which, again, they, they can't promise that these will be the right ones. But I thought that was a, a good sort of proactive uh, document that the association put out. And I would commend that and, and similar things to folks who are dealing with this right now and then trying to figure out in the post-COVID world, you know, making sure that they buttoned up uh, things that might have happened during the crisis. Mm -hmm. That's a good answer. So like us in, in the services industry, you're a for-profit business. Uh, we're seeing pitching new business is kind of almost unacceptable, basically unacceptable at this point, or really not being responded to because people are, are too busy to implement or take on new initiatives. What are ways that you're approaching growing the business that are tolerated and will be accepted during these times? Well, I think for us as a law firm and probably similar to the kind of organization you guys are, it's about being responsive. Um, it's about being you know, having the depth to handle uh, the kind of complex questions that are coming. And um, I think that the ability to kind of look around the corner is the next sort of piece that, that, that we are doing certainly on, on, as an institution. And, and we're very fortunate because on our end, we have um, two folks, uh, one that actually was um, uh, a person at, very, at the very top working with Senator Schumer in New York and another person who was actually working with uh, Senator McConnell to give us, for example, a look around the corner with respect to what's happening and not happening with these various stimulus bills and that you hear about either happening or stopping or keeping going. Mm -hmm. So yep, yep. We, we, we need that. And then on the international front, I'm really fortunate to have um, former uh, Deputy U.S. Trade Representative Robert Holliman, 
um, who is uh, with us and, and able to, with his team, able to help us and our clients look at the developing incentive programs that are happening across the world. So those are, again, things that we do to try to look around the corner. If you look back at recent history across these types of crises, what type of corporate personality or behaviors are remembered? And who are, who are the companies and what did they do that no one else thought of doing? And I'm talking really brand and reputation here. One example that I have that I heard recently was a local grocer chain in uh, Texas was actually working with local restaurants that were struggling during these times. And they were pre-packaging uh, favorite menu items off of the, the menus of the different restaurants so that those that couldn't go to the restaurants could grab and still enjoy those kind of meals at home, cooking and preparing them themselves. So multi-purpose, multi-kind of benefits there. What other things come to mind for you? Well, it's interesting you mentioned that because I lived through the, um, the SARS mess back in the 2000s. And I remember, uh, I don't remember the exact name of the company, but Back then, you know, particularly in Hong Kong, um, one of the uh, favorite sort of food items uh, is is a certain kind of soup, mm-hmm. and it's boiled forever and ever and ever, and it's it's very healthy. It's like the Chinese version of chicken soup, and there were very good sort of entrepreneurs that came up with a way of delivering that soup, particularly to um, Hong Kong senior citizens, and so I think um, things that will be remembered, I think, at the corporate level will be people who remembered that, you know, um, even though everybody's thinking about things like cost cutting, um, particularly in human services businesses, people that remember that these businesses are filled with people who are really the assets that they have. And those assets walk in and out of the door every day. And so to the extent that those kind of leaders, you know, remember, consider, and and try to mitigate um, sort of the, the, the harm of things like that to that population, I think, we remembered from from a services business perspective. Um, but I think that there are so many other sort of forms of leadership, um, like the one you mentioned, where people are delivering food to senior citizens or to people who are disadvantaged. I think those will be some terrific stories um, that will you know that will come out of this thing. Right, societal bonding, how the big corporations work and, and navigate and support right. the communities they they reside within. Absolutely. Yeah. If the situation goes worst case, what do you wish your company would have done? Meaning any real-time lessons learned in preparing, uh, changing operations to work under the pandemic uh, structure that we find ourselves within? Well, I think with respect to my own organization, I think that they've been attuned to best practices from other sort of leading firms in the, um, you know, in the space. And so I think the steps that they've taken have been very consistent with that. And I would, I would expect that the leadership would continue to, uh, to, to sort of make sure that we are in line with what the, what the best practices are you know, with other large firms like ours. Okay. So last question for our listeners. Uh, what sources, social, traditional media, personal networks, et cetera, are providing the most useful updates that help inform your company's strategy for the pandemic or your day-to-day operations from a personal perspective? Well, I think from the state of the uh, of the pandemic itself, the um, the Johns Hopkins CDC website seems to be the one that we we really stay attuned to. Um, I think from a, a legal perspective, you know, we look at towards our knowledge management platform because within that resides all of the major sources of information that the um, the various governmental agencies put out. 
And so our ability to <clears throat> basically sweep that and, and, and understand what's happening in, in near real time is something that we use to sort of assess um, certainly legal risk and how to mitigate that risk for our clients um, is by turning to essentially not just one or two particular sets of social media, but really the range, but, but having our knowledge management platform help us prioritize. And, um, you know, at, at, at the most basic level, honestly, I've, I've still been impressed with, you know, with the past couple of years and, and, and the increasing sort of utility of Twitter. Yeah, that's it's functional depending on yeah. the streams that you are uh, picking and choosing to listen to. Right. I mean, it doesn't necessarily, you know, I mean, you're not going to rely on a Twitter feed, but at least it does tend to give you some, it's a data point in terms of the trends that are happening. And, you know, as, as good lawyers, then, then we go, we go chase that down. So it's, it's certainly one data point that I certainly use in my, my day-to-day tracking of things. Again, it's not dispositive, but it's, it's a certainly a, a, a data point that I use. Fantastic. So Evan really wanted to appreciate you for taking some time today to talk with us on pandemic buzz, sharing all those insights. Uh, and we'd welcome you back anytime for future episodes. Thanks so much. It's always a pleasure. Thanks again for listening to Pandemic Buzz. Please like and share this podcast with your colleagues and be sure to catch our next episode.